This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with another story from Box 13, where Alan Ladd stars as a writer who puts an ad in the newspaper looking for adventure, and he gets more than he bargained for with the case of a wooden box that people want, want enough to murder for. This episode first aired in 1948, and it's entitled Hot Box. Box. 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Box 13, care of the Star Times. Enclosed, you'll find enough money to do what I want you to do. Go to the Mason auction rooms and bid on an old Chinese teakwood box. I must have that box. And if you get it for me, wait for further instructions. Hmm. No address, no signature. Just wait for further instructions. Well, as Bobby Burns would say, the best laid plans of mice and men sometimes go wrong. And Bobby Burns knew what he was talking about. to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Hot Box. It doesn't sound very interesting, Mr. Holliday. Uh, you never can tell, Susie. Now, suppose this teakwood box contains a million crown jewels, and suppose international jewel thieves are after them, and I get mixed up and... and... Gee, go on, Mr. Holliday. That sounded wonderful. Well, what happens then? Well, and then I... What am I saying? I must be out of my head. Well, well, well I think you should go uh, to the auction, I mean. Auctions are very interesting. I went to one once. They're, they're like a gin rummage sale. The gin, Susie. That's extra. Oh. Anyway, maybe I'll see what's in that teakwood box. You'll be able to reach me at the Mason auction rooms. Well, right there's where the plans begin to get twisted. I took a wrong turn and landed at the Mason auction room after the sale had started. Uh-oh, they just sold a teakwood box. Sold it to a scared-looking little guy. He was about 55, pale, and he kept looking around the room while they wrapped the box for him. It wasn't big, that box. Maybe about the size of a cigar box. But the way the little man hugged it to him when he left, it could have been made of radium. Okay, so I missed the boat. Or, or I mean the box. But I wanted something for my trip across town, so I followed the pale little guy from the room. 
He looked around and saw me. I raised my hand to signal him, and that did it. He spun out to the sidewalk like a rabbit. I went after him. I wished I hadn't, because when he saw I meant to follow, he took a couple of wild looks around, and then... Hey, hey, look out! He ran across the street against the traffic signal and right into the path of a car. What happened here, anyway? I pushed my way through the crowd that gathered. The little guy was lying on the street. I couldn't help it. He ran right in front of me. He ran against the life. Hey, hey, did anybody see you? Did anybody see you? Yeah, I saw it. It wasn't your fault. No, no, it wasn't my fault. I was trying to stop. I wasn't going fast. I was just going to make the turn. It's... Well, is he hurt bad? The little man looked as though he was badly hurt. Somebody sent for an ambulance, then I then I remembered the box. I looked around for it. It was on the street. He didn't have it anymore. I looked over the crowd. Nobody had it. Then I noticed the cab at the hack stand on the curb. And getting into it was a woman with red hair. And under her arm was the package. Before I could push my way back to the crowd, the cab was gone. But I saw its number. Okay, it'd be easy to check and find the driver's name and maybe... Maybe ask him a few questions. Well, I waited on the street until the ambulance got there. The intern said it was probably concussion. But that evening, I drove to the Marchmont Apartments. Yeah, that, that was where the driver of the cab said he took the woman. I looked at the names on the mailboxes. Nine apartments in the building. Well, one way to get in was to push all the buttons and wait for the door to click open. I went in, but as I did, I looked out the door. There was a tail on me. I caught a quick glimpse of a man's face. He hurried past, but not before he gave me a good look. Well, that teakwood box was leading to something. After disturbing seven occupants of seven different apartments and getting seven nasty comments, I rang one buzzer. name underneath was Ruth Cornwall. Is that you, Tommy? Yes, Ruth. Just a second. Oh. Good evening. Who are you? I'm not the full of brush, man. May I come in? Of course not. Uh, I've come about a teakwood box. Will you please go? Oh, maybe you didn't hear me. I said I've come about the teakwood box, Miss Cornwall. I don't know what you're talking about. And if you don't go, I'll ring for the manager. All right. Ring for him. Well? Is this a joke? I don't know. That depends on you. Well, I... Come in. That's better. Now, who are you? My name's Dan Holliday. Do I know you? No, I... I don't think so. But I know you. Oh, you do? From where? Mm, From this afternoon... When you hopped into a cab with a package that belonged to a little man. Oh. <laughs> if that was supposed to be a careless laugh, you need a lot of rehearsal. Well, what makes you think I'm the person you're looking for? I just managed to catch sight of that beautiful red hair of yours. Really, Mr. Holliday, I thought this was a joke at first, but it's getting a little absurd. Oh, no, wait I, I think you'd better go now. All I want is an explanation. What's in that box? What's in that box that makes it so important? Well, uh... If I knew what box you were talking about, maybe I could tell you. That's good waltzing, Miss Cornwall. You wouldn't have let me in this apartment if you knew nothing about all this. But you were scared enough to let me come in and talk. That makes sense? Why should it? 
Because I could swear you seem relieved about something. Maybe, maybe you were expecting someone else to come after you. Were you? Of course not. All right, I'll wait. I don't think you will. Oh. Does this make you change your mind? Guns always have a habit of making a man think twice. Just think once, Mr. Holliday, about leaving now. Well, your arguments are stronger than mine, and I... Get out of here quickly. You're getting more comfortable. Get out! Now, let's see. Anyone planning to sneak up on you could do the same as I did. Ring all the buzzers, get in the building, then come up here, but... If you don't leave, I'll... I don't think you will. You're very anxious to have me get out before this company gets up here. And you had better click that front door. You'll get impatient and go away. If, if I give you that box, will you leave? Ah, now we're getting someplace. Okay, you're talking into it. Wait. Here. Here it is. Now get out of here and don't come back. What was in Nothing. Now please, will you go? For heaven's sake, please go. You got what you wanted? Now leave me alone. Well, look, I... Will you leave me alone if he sees you here? Uh... All right, Miss Cornwall. And please never come back. Never try to see me again. I don't know what it was, but there was something about Ruth Cornwall that put me in sympathy with her. She needed help, wanted it, but it was as though she didn't dare tell me why. I went down the hall, ducked around a corner, stopped just long enough to look back and see a man go into her apartment. I went downstairs, out onto the street. Keep walking, bub. Huh? I said keep walking, right up to that alley. Hey, what is this? I think you know, but if you want to play 20 questions, I'll let you ask one. This, give you a hint. Oh, when you pull that gun back, take it easy. I think you've got it caught in my ribs. Now walk. Far enough. Now what? Give me that box. What box? Ain't you funny? Yeah, I, I do card tricks, too. That's enough. Hand it over. This seems to be my night to play give and take. Okay. That's better. Now... Good night, holiday. When the alleyway stopped spinning long enough for me to catch it, I I stood up on it. I looked at my watch. As closely as I could figure, the character who tattooed my head had put me out for a half an hour. See what you get when you put a gnat in the paper advertising for adventure? You get it. With lumps. Well, there was nothing more I could do that night. My head felt like the inside of a bass drum in a band. And all I wanted to do was hit Betty by and let my head rest on a nice, soft pillow. Good morning, Sue. Oh. Uh, Mr. Holliday, this man's been waiting for you. Oh, you again. You sleep all right, Mr. Holliday? Like a top, I spun. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to do anything, Mr. Holliday? I wish you could, Susie. Mr. Holliday, I know a man who wants to see you right now. Uh-huh. Can I persuade you to come along? Do you think? Yes, you seem to have a way about you. Susie. Uh, yes, Mr. Holliday? If I'm not back in three hours, call up the insurance company and get back that last premium I paid in advance. Huh? That's enough. Let's go, Holiday.
Miss Holliday, Mr. Conrad. Oh, yes. Uh, please come in. Sit down. What's the idea? Funny, I was going to ask you that. Here, take a look. Well, that's the box. But it's empty. So it's empty. What am I supposed to do, fill it with Easter eggs? Shut your trap, Holiday. Take it easy, Jimmy. Maybe Mr. Holiday will tell us things. Now, Mr. Holiday? Like what? Uh, look, I sent you the letter to Bitterness Box. I checked. Never mind how I found out who you were. Oh, well, then you should know I didn't get the box at the auction yesterday. I know, but you got it last night, Jim. From whom? Look, that's the way I got it. Empty. What more do you want from me? Information. Who had that box? I... Does it make any difference? You've got it now. I want what is in it. That's the way I got it. Jimmy. Yeah, Mr. Conrad? Did you see anybody take the box yesterday when that man was hit by the car? No. Whoever did got away first. Yeah? Uh, but, Holiday, you went to the Marchmont Apartments last night. When you came out, you had the box. And that's as far as it goes. Uh, not quite. Where'd you get it from? Conrad looked hard at me. So he didn't know Ruth Cornwall. I could tell him and put her on the spot. But I didn't want to do that. Not until I found out a bit more. Conrad got up from behind his desk. I don't know what game you're playing, Holiday, but I can tell you this. You won't play long. And I'm telling you, I got the box that way empty. All you have to do then is to tell me who picked up that box of the Edison and yesterday. Yes? And what if I don't? Uh, Jimmy. Yeah? How hard is Mr. Holiday's head? Not very. Go ahead, then. Wait a minute. Uh, hold it, Jimmy. Okay, Holiday? What? Look, you want what was in that box, right? Sure. But let me go after it. What are you talking about? You didn't go to the auction yourself to bid for the box, which means that you didn't want anybody to see you get it. All right. Whatever was in that box is important to you. But if you beat me up, you'll never find out. You see, I'm the only one who knows who had it. Well, we could go to the March Mart and find out. Sure, sure. But you wouldn't find anybody because... Because there's nobody there now. Smart, huh? Yeah. Smart. It was a bluff. It had to be. But Conrad was afraid to call it. If he did, he wouldn't get what he wanted, he thought. He stared at me and then... Okay, Holiday. I, uh, I don't know how you found out how important this is, but evidently it did. All right. How much do you want? What makes you think I want anything? Are you kidding? Okay. We'll decide that after I get what you want. Uh, bring the notebook and we'll talk it over. It's a deal. Uh, but uh, you won't be alone, Holiday. You'll have company all the way. Oh, how nice. Jimmy has such a good face. You know, it'll do me a lot of good to be seen with him. Yeah, if you don't come through, it could also do you a lot of harm. <laughs> Another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Well, I could have wound up the whole thing by telling Conrad about Ruth Cornwall. But I didn't want to drag her in unless she was going to double-cross me. 
Okay, there had to be a starting point. And for me, it was the hospital where the little guy who had bought the box was taken after his accident. Well, I'm afraid you can't talk with him, Mr. Holliday. As a matter of fact, there was another man here yesterday. And he frightened our patient so badly that he had a relapse. Oh. Doctor, what's your patient's name? Ralph Sanders. Uh, he's an ex-convict. Uh, just got out of prison a few days ago. Oh. Okay, thanks, Doctor. Here's my name and phone number. If I can talk with him at any time, please call me, will you? So that was a dead end. Then I got the idea that the people at the auction rooms might be able to help. Here it is, Mr. Holliday. That box was uh, part of lot number 509. What does that mean? Well, lot 509 was in storage here. For a time, we received the money to pay for the storage, and then <laughs> it stopped. How long ago? Oh, it must have been over 60 days. We hold goods that long and then offer them for sale to pay for the storage charges. Hmm. How long did you have this lot 509? Mm, well, let me look at the books. Four years. Oh. Do you know the name of the person who owned the goods? Uh, James R. Conlon. Uh, at least that's the name on our books. Did you make any attempt to locate this Conlon after the payments on storage stopped coming in? Yes, we did. But we couldn't. I see. Oh, one more question. Did you advertise this sale? Oh, yes. We're bound to by law. You advertise in the papers? That's right. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. Well, there was one place to find out about James R. Conlon. The morgue of the Star Times. And what I found out began to slope the merry-go-round enough to let me see some of the things a little more clearly. Then at my apartment later today. Hello? Mr. Holliday? Yes, who's this? This is Dr. Evans, City Hospital. Oh, yes. Uh, Sanders is conscious now. Oh, fine. But I'm afraid that he won't live. Since you were the only person who left his name, I, I thought you'd want to know. Uh, may I see him? But you haven't much time. I'll be right there, Doctor. <laughs> saw the poor little guy. He was pathetically anxious to talk. He had been Conlon's cellmate in the penitentiary. And Conlon had talked. He had to talk to someone. Tell about something he was saving up for when he got out. And it was Sanders he told about a teakwood box. And what was in it? Never dreaming he'd die in prison before Sanders got out. Okay. Now it was my turn. I went outside... Hello, Jimmy. Still playing tag with me? What's the idea, Holiday? Oh, I'm full of ideas. But the best one of all is... Let's go to Conrad. Uh, you got that book? Not with me, pretty boy. You want to get your head singed? Look, we're going to Conrad right now. Why, I ought to... You ought to, but you won't. Now, let's get going. If we stand here one more second, I'll let that notebook loose where it'll do the most good. Or the most harm. And that, figures depends on the point of view. Why, I... Okay. Okay, but you're asking for trouble. Fine. Let's go hunt for it, shall we? Well, hello, Holiday. Glad to see you back. You're an optimist, Conrad. Here, I brought your son back with me. Say hello to Papa, Jimmy. 
What's this all about? I just got tired of having Jimmy Hawkins. Jimmy, has he got it? Yeah. Where is it, Holiday? I know. With you? Oh, no, don't be silly. Jimmy, you let him get it and do a fade-out on you. No, no, I didn't. Oh, no, Jimmy was with me all the way, and a more gruesome companion no man could ask for. Stop yapping. Okay. A while ago, I talked with a little guy named Ralph Sanders. Sanders? So? He was Conlon's cellmate in prison. Go on. It seems Mr. Conlon had a notebook filled with a lot of details that would blow you and your nice punch right out of the window. Where is it? As if I tell you. Now listen. You found out about the box because Sanders talked. The prison grapevine picked it up and it got to you. You wrote me. Wanted me to bid on the box and get it for you. <laughs> The joke's on you, Conrad, because I didn't have the faintest idea what was in that box before today. How long do you think you'll enjoy this big joke on me? A long, long time. I'm walking out of here right now with no tail on me. Yeah? Uh-huh. Because if I don't show up where I'm supposed to, in exactly one hour, that notebook goes to the police. Uh, listen, uh, you're smart. Uh, we can make a deal. Oh, no. Remember... I'm walking out of here. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. Good night, Jimmy. Well, his head's not very hard either, is it? Sure, I walked out all right, but I expected to feel my back pick up a few ounces of lead on the way. Didn't. I was very happy about that. Ah, there was still one more thing to clear up. Ruth Cornwall. If she had that notebook and Conrad found out about it, then I was out in the cold. I got to the Marchmont apartment as fast as I could because it could be that she was going to do a little business with Conrad herself. I got in, went to her apartment. Yes? Oh, I'm sorry I couldn't wait to be invited in. I told you not to come back here. Yes, I know, but I'm back. What do you want? Last night you gave me a box. Now I want what was in it. There was nothing in it. Not even a notebook with some very startling things in it? About a certain Mr. Conrad in his gang? So you found out about this? Yeah, but in finding out, I put myself in a wonderful spot to get acquainted with a mortician. All right, so you know. But what good will it do you? What good will it do you? That's no concern of yours. Oh, yes, it is. Put yourself in my place. Conrad thinks I've got the notebook. He also knows who I am and where I live. Now, when he finds out I don't have the notebook and can't hold it over his head, he's going to get awfully, awfully rough with me. <laughs> and that seems to be your problem, Mr. Holliday. Uh, and you won't give me any help with it. Why should I? Fair question. I'll answer it. Because I don't think you want to see me get killed. Look, I can't help you. Do you understand that? I can't help you at all. Where's the book? It's no use. I won't tell you. I won't tell you anything. Anything? Why did you put that on the end? Mr. Holliday, the last time you were here, I was at a disadvantage. Now, our positions have reversed. I think you'll leave now without giving me any more trouble. All right. You ask for it. You'll get it. What do you mean by that? I did a lot of reading today, Miss Conlon. 
Oh, don't call me that. You don't know that. You, you can't know that. No. no. You can't know that. It was a throw in the dark, but it was where I wanted it to. The clippings on Connell mentioned something about a daughter. Not much. But enough to give me a hint that Ruth Cornwall and Ruth Conlon were the same. I watched you for a few seconds and then... All right. I'm Ruth Conlon. Are you satisfied now? Not quite. What I said before still goes. Do you want me to get killed? No. No, of course not. And what are you doing with that notebook? Well, I... If I tell you, what do you do? That depends on what you tell me. All right. I'll tell you. My father died in prison. No one knows I'm his daughter. No one. For four years, I've lived under another name, waiting for him to come home, waiting to help him get even with Conrad and the men who sent him to prison. Sure, he could have told things at his trial. He knew he'd been double-crossed, but he wanted to wait. And now? And now I... I don't know. Oh, don't you know? I'm going to get married. You see, I, I didn't count on falling in love at 35. Falling in love with Tommy. Oh, he was the man who came here last night after I, after I left. Yes. I had to get that notebook. Because if someone else got hold of it, all the old scandal would be raked up again. People would find out who I was, that my father died in prison. Tommy would find out. I see. I waited a long time to get even with Conrad, but now I don't want to because of Tommy. Oh, don't you see? I can't let anyone else have that notebook. I want a chance to live like anyone else, like you or a million other people. Yes, I, I see. So, now what do you do? I... I can't do a thing, Miss Conlon. It's your problem now. Mine. That's right. You can destroy that book and let Conrad go along his merry way. You can forget your father. He's dead. Whatever happens to Conrad now won't help him. That's true. But leave us out of it. If you let a man like Conrad go free when you could put him where he belongs, that wouldn't be any good, would it? Oh, please, please stop it. And maybe something you've never thought about. But what? Someday, someday your Tommy might find out. Oh, no. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. It wasn't you. It was your father. Why don't you start with a clean page? If... If this Tommy's the right guy, you'll understand. Well, Miss Conlon. Hello, Tommy. Darling, I... I want you to come over right away. There's something we've got to talk over. All right, dear. I'll give... ten to one on Tommy, Ruth. Day of notorious racketeer after five years. 
Dead Man's Notebook. Forget that, Susie. Turn to the society page. Oh, thanks. Yes. Ah, read that. Mr. and Mrs. Tommy Gibson leave for Bahamas on honeymoon. Gee, the Bahamas. You must feel just like stupid, Mr. Holiday. The word is Cupid, Susie. And I'm dressed differently. Mr. Holiday. <laughs> Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holiday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville with an original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Stay tuned for Life with Luigi next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Life with Luigi, where we'll hear about Luigi having a crush on his night school teacher. From Chicago, we invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring J. Carol Nash. When Luigi Vasco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write her and tell her about his adventures. So now we look over Luigi's shoulder as he writes another letter to Mama Vasco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, how you like the news from England? Princess Elizabeth, she have a little boy. So now England, she's a really a mother country. In the last letter, you say you're surprised that my English writing is so good. I can explain you why. First thing, when I come to Chicago, I go to night school at night. <laughs> I wish you, Mamma Mia, you could see my teacher, Miss Spaulding. She's got beautiful eyes like a Mediterranean. Her hair is gold like a sun over Alps. And her shape. Mamma mia, if Italy is in a such a good shape, they don't need a Marshall plan. <laughs> so you see, Mamma mia, I'm studying very hard because I don't want to be like our countryman Pasquale who bring me here. He is here 26 years, and all he knows is the two words, money and rosa. <laughs> is it too bad that she is not worth her weight in gold? She's so fat, Mamma Mia, that if a fella marries her, he is a commit to bigamy. <laughs> but this morning, I'm not thinking about Pasquale Rosa. I'm talking to my 12-year-old general manager, Jimmy O'Connor, who is like my son. And I'm helping him with his lessons before he goes to school. I say to him, what are you doing, Jimmy? An algebra problem. It's pretty tough, too. Stop looking for the answer in the back of the book. He's not honest. Read me the question and I'll give you the answer. But is it honest if you figure out the answer for me? Don't worry, I won't. <laughs> but I try. It's all common sense. Now, read me question. Okay. If Tom can dig a ditch in two hours, 
and Harry can dig the same ditch in one hour, how long would it take Tom and Harry if they dig together? Oh. What answer it gives in the back of the book? <laughs> and you told me not to look. That's right. We use the common sense. If Harry digs a hole in two hours... Uh, no, Tom digs the hole in two hours. The same thing. Later, they're going to dig the hole together, so it makes no difference. <laughs> well, never mind, boss. I'll figure it out in school. Never put off a Jimmy is a bad habit. We figure out to buy common sense. Tom digs hole in two hours. Harry digs the same hole in one hour. Right. How long would it take Tom and Harry if they dig together? It's <laughs> <laughs> a funny thing. What's funny? Just two weeks ago was election. Harry stands still and Tom digs his own hole. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jimmy. Maybe it's a little hard to figure out the by common sense. Oh, that's okay, Mr. Luigi. You helped me with my American history. It's my favorite subject. Jimmy, you're a lucky boy you're born here. Boss, do you really wish you were born in America? Yes. And next time I'm born, I know better. <laughs> Jimmy, it's getting late. You better go in the back, have a glass of milk, and go to school. Okay. Well, I think I dust off my antiques. No, better I put dust on antiques. Makes them look older. Hello, Mr. Luigi. Good morning, my teacher, Miss Spaulding. It's a big pleasure to see you. I was on my way to school, so I thought I'd drop in for a minute. It's a wonderful idea. Look how whole place light up because you're here. Please, sit down on this Teddy Roosevelt rocking chair. Why do you call it a Teddy Roosevelt rocking chair? It has no arms and it's rather hard. Teddy Roosevelt was a rough rider. <laughs> well, I'll take this chair. It seems more comfortable. Fine. It's also a good chair. American mahogany, Duncan Five style. Good. Then I can be patriotic and comfortable at the same time. Is uh, it all right if I sit next to you? Well, certainly it's all right. Thank you. Ah. How's the business, Miss Spaulding? <laughs> well, teaching school can hardly be called a business. But it must be a wonderful thing to be a teacher. Everybody, they love you. They respect you. I bet you all the kids in your class, they're crazy about you. Yes, but they have a quaint way of showing it. What do you mean? Well, Mr. Basco, did you ever spend the day dodging spitballs? Or did you ever shake hands with a piece of bubble gum? Or were you ever hit by a jet-propelled eraser? Miss Spalding, your life, she's in danger. <laughs> well, it's not as serious as that, Mr. Basco. Well, if the kids do bad things, you tell me, Miss Spalding. I teach them respect. Oh, no, Mr. Luigi, we don't use force. Then how you punish them? Well, occasionally we keep them after school. Miss Spalding, do me a favor. Please punish me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> ah, now, that's better. Don't be sad no more. All you need, Miss Spalding, is the same thing everybody needs. Somebody who's saying nice things. Especially if somebody is a nicer fella. If I'm a ten years younger. Miss Spalding, and if I have a big store like a Marshall and Fields, then I buy you the whole store and the school and I give you for Christmas a present. Then I go there every day, and I hold your hand like this, and I say, Good morning, my beautiful teacher, Miss Spalding. Mr. Luigi, I could kiss you for that. Boss, I finished my milk. Jimmy, go back and drink two more quarts. <laughs> I 
didn't know you were here, Miss Balding. Yes, yes, uh, so I am. I, I, I just dropped in. In fact, I'm leaving. Uh, that's right. We'll walk to school together, Mr. Luigi. I mean, Jimmy. <laughs> sure. Goodbye, my teacher, Miss Balding. Goodbye, Mr. Luigi. Will I see you this afternoon? You see me any time you like, Miss Balding. I mean, at the PTA meeting. PTA? Are you on a relief for Miss Balding? <laughs> No, PTA means Parent Teachers Association. Didn't you give Mr. Luigi one of those notices, Jimmy? Uh, I forgot. Why you forget such a thing, Jimmy? Should I go, Miss Spaulding? But, boss, it's... It's mostly mothers. So what? I'm like a mother to you, Jimmy. Miss Spaulding, is true that is all the mothers at the PTA? Well, the odds are that you'll be the only man among 30 or 40 ladies. That's a wonderful odds. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I, I dust my statues. See you this afternoon at the meet. Jimmy, why didn't you tell Mr. Luigi about the PTA meeting? I just told you. I forgot. You're not ashamed of him, are you, Jimmy? No, of course not. It's only that... That what? Oh, nothing, Miss Balling. You better tell me, Jimmy. Well, it's just that you don't know Mr. Luigi like I do. What do you mean? If there's more than two people around, he thinks it's his duty to make a speech. That isn't true, Jimmy. Oh, yes, it is. At the July 4th ball game between our scout teams, he made us stop the game so he could read the preamble to the Constitution. And this was with three men on base. <laughs> I think that's very commendable. And you should hear those speeches he makes to the statues. Yesterday, I heard him talk to the statue of Patrick Henry all about liberty and death. At the end of an hour, I swear I heard Patrick Henry say, Give me death! <laughs> well, I'm sure no such thing will happen this afternoon. Don't be too sure, Miss Balling. He's so good-natured and he's so happy to be invited someplace that he'll wind up serving the food, making a speech, taking tickets at the door, and finding out if the people are related to the signers of the Declaration of Independence. I just don't believe it, Jimmy. Mr. Luigi just wants to participate in civic activities. He wants to feel that he belongs. The PTA meeting this afternoon will help round him out. Sure. And flatten out everyone else. Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Pasquale. I come over to ask you a little favor. Sure. Everybody who comes to my spaghetti palace, they call it a favor at the place. What do you want? I have to go to Jimmy's school this afternoon. What's the matter? The kid in the trouble? No. I must make a speech. Then the whole school's in the trouble. <laughs> what the fuck you want to make a speech? You don't understand, Pasquale. Is Parent Teachers Association. What's the matter? You're crazy. In the first place, you know parent. In the second place, you know teach. Then I must be association. <laughs> You've got too many places, Luigi. Always a running like a little mouse. <laughs> Stay home. Mind your own business. Is my business what happened in school? Who asked you to make the speech, Jimmy? No. Is it Spaulding? No. Is it my own idea? <laughs> You're going to make a speech. <laughs> well, what's this so funny? Listen, Luigi. Right now, everything she's a fine between the United States and Italy. You make a speech and the whole war starts up again. <laughs> Please, keep your mouth shut. Here's a free speech in the United States, so I speak. In the second place, Luigi, this meeting is for ladies, not for men. What before you go? Maybe I meet the nice American lady. It's only mothers ago, not the single ladies. 
So is maybe nice widow lady. Widow lady? What's the matter with my daughter Rosa? She's not a widow. <laughs> you marry her now. We see what happens later. <laughs> Pasquale, I'm not the coming to talk about Rosa. Luigi, my friend, why you don't want to marry my Rosa? Just because she's a little bit chubby? Little bit. Mamma mia, if I marry Rosa, it's not a marriage, it's a project. <laughs> but no more talk about Rosa. All right, all right. We don't talk about a Rosa. Thank you, Pasquale. Luigi, uh, isn't that the parent that pitches a meeting for children's mothers? Maybe. But uh, Jimmy, he was born 12 years ago. He has no mother. Rosa could be his mother. She's 12 years too late. <laughs> then what do you want from me? When I go to meeting, please take care of my store. All right, all right. I said a Rosa. Oh, no. Is it like a bull in China shop? Never mind. I close a place I put out sign to help yourself. Goodbye, Pasquale. Hey, 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 hey. Wait, wait, Luigi. You're going to go to a PTA meeting like this? What's wrong? What's wrong? Look at the way you look. Look at your suit. You're the only fellow in Chicago who's wearing a green jacket with a six buttons in the front and a belt in the back. <laughs> and look at your pants. Where's the crease? Only bumps. <laughs> That's uh, from uh, keeping a pants under a mattress. I don't have other suits. Then uh, stay home. Why you must always uh, go places? Maybe you're right, Pasquale. Maybe I should buy a new suit. But I don't got the money. Pasquale? No, I only lend money to son in law. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the trouble. Whenever you lend the money, it's got a strings attached. Ross's apron strings. All right, go ahead, go to meet and let the fine American ladies laugh at Luigi Bosco. Sure, even a Jim is ashamed of you. Is it not true? Jim is not ashamed. Then why Miss Spalding invite you, not the Jim? Jim, forget, that's why. Sure, sure. Well, don't bother me. I'm not lending you no money. Only suit I buy you is a wedding suit. <laughs> what do you say, my son? Goodbye, Papa. <laughs> Excuse me, is this place you sell suits? Yes. You have suits here for speech making? Oh, yes, indeedy. Just had a shipment returned from the Republican National Committee. <laughs> good. Show me suit that's good for speech making. Oh, uh, you want something in tail? I'm going to make a speech and not hang it from tree. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, will you give me some idea? Do you like this suit I'm wearing? If I take your suit, then you'll have to go home in underwear. <laughs> no, what I mean is, do you like this pattern? It's a herringbone. Herringbone? That's right. Is a fine country where they make suits from herringbones. <laughs> Must take a lot of little herring. <laughs> I've never counted them. <laughs> perhaps you'd like, uh, perhaps you'd like a businessman's suit. You mean he lent me his suit? I like my own place. Uh, well, sir, for what purpose do you want this suit? I have to make speech at PTA meeting this afternoon. Maybe you like to come. Oh, no, thank you. I couldn't stand the excitement. Uh, tell me, is it formal or informal? It's inside in school. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, do you have to dress? I'm only man there. Of course I got to dress. <laughs> this is PTA meeting, not Turkish bath. 
Well, sir, could you go for this suit? It comes with two pairs of pants. Is it no good? Uh, I know two pairs of pants would make your legs look too lumpy. <laughs> then why you try to sell it to me? Because I'm just a great big sneak. <laughs> oh, this is a nice suit here, the soprano one. But why is pants so short? Because it's a boy scout suit, and you get a knife with it. How many blades? I can't tell you it's a military secret. <laughs> Look, please. I like a suit for making speech. You know, four score and a seven years ago. Of course. Well, why didn't you say so? Here's just the suit for you. It's our Gettysburg address model. Is it good enough for Abe Lincoln? Is it good enough for Luigi Pasco? I... Thank you. For the second act of Luigi Vasco's Adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. So, Mamma Mia, I buy myself suit for PTA meeting. Now all I have to do is pay 50 cents a week. In one year, I own a coat. In one more year, I also own pants. Pants is striped. And the coat is empty in the front, but in back it sweeps the floor. <laughs> it's called a cutaway. This is what I do when I come home after meeting, because there's enough material in back of coat for extra pair of pants. <laughs> I also want to bring a present to ladies at the meeting, so... I take a new thing called money order that I get from lady customer and I go to post office to cash it. Excuse me. You're the postmaster? Yes, I'm in charge of this branch. You're just the man I want to see. I just received this paper from a lady. That's a money order. See, fellow who worked for you in gray suit, he tell me if I bring it here, you give me $10. Is this right? Yes, yes. Uh, have you any identification? What do you mean? Well, something to prove you're Luigi Basco. Have you a driver's license? I don't even have a car. Citizenship papers? I know all the answers to questions, but I must wait a couple of years because... Marriage I... license? I'm a single. If you know a nicer girl, I... Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> How about a birth certificate? Is home in the family Bible. Would you bring that? Can't afford to take a trip to Italy just enough. <laughs> If I get money order for $1,000, then I go and I bring, but for $10, it's hmm. Well, uh, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to show me something. Well, if, uh, if nobody looks, uh, I show birthmark on the ankle. No, 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 that won't do. Isn't there some way you can prove that you're Luigi Basco? Mr. Postmaster, every morning when I get up, I look in the mirror, there I am. <laughs> but Mr. Basco, the rule... It's very simple. I prove the whole thing. Are you Luigi Basco? Certainly not. That the man over there on the line, is he Luigi Basco? Probably not. And the lady over there, is she Luigi Basco? I doubt it. Then is left only you and me. <laughs> Are you Luigi Basco? No. Then who are you talking to? I don't know. I'm surprised you don't know me, Mr. Postmaster. Well, why should I know you? Because all the time I'm in this country, this post office handles all the letters I send. Well, I give up. You're Luigi Basco. Sure, I told you that first. You save a lot of time by not arguing with me. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Here's your $10. I'm sorry I ever took a civil service examination. <laughs> Don't feel badly. From now on, I buy all the stamps from this post office. Goodbye. <laughs> America, 
I love you. You like a papa to me. Come on. Hello, Pasquale. What do you want now, Luigi? More favor? This time I do you favor. It's about the time. You do me favor? I do you favor. Like Uncle Pietro say, if one hand is dirty, wash your both hands. Please, don't bring your relations into this conversation. <laughs> I'm a busy. Pasquale, how much you charge you for spaghetti? With or without the meatball? Without. Cost more without the meatball. <laughs> 65 cents a plate. Not to buy plate. How much you charge by inch? What, are you crazy? I never sell it by inch. Then maybe you sell it by foot. No, no. Smallest I sell is a yard. How much is a yard? For you, ten cents. Then how much I get for ten dollars? I think maybe you get a half a mile. <laughs> Let me see. Is it ten cents a yard? Is it ten yards for one dollar? See? Ten dollars, you get a hundred yards. Okay, give me a hundred yards of spaghetti. What do you mean to give? No money, no spaghetti. Maybe I open a charge account with you. Uh, you give me ten dollars a box of cash or money, then you open a charge account. <laughs> All right. Here is a ten dollars. Hey, where you get this? Post office. So when is the post office giving away money? It's a new thing. <laughs> Lady send me a little piece of paper. I take the post office. I get the money. So now I buy spaghetti. What are you going to do with all this spaghetti? I bring it to PTA meeting. Oh, you still going to the meeting, eh? Sure. I buy suit. I prepare a speech, and now I bring the spaghetti. Ah. It's a fine, Luigi. Look, here. I give you a couple of hundred of cards at my restaurant, and you give it to all of the ladies. I'm a speaker, not a spaghetti salesman. Well, when you speak, you talk about this. My speech is about education. <laughs> my spaghetti is a very educational, Luigi. But I don't know about spaghetti. I don't even know why they call a spaghetti spaghetti. That's a foolish. Is a long like a spaghetti? Taste like a spaghetti? That's why they call it a spaghetti. <laughs> I don't think I do this, Pasquale. I give you ten yards extra, just in case the spaghetti shrinks. Excuse me, is Mister Basco in? What's the matter, Jimmy? You don't recognize me? A cutaway. Is that you, Mister Luigi? Sure. Look like a movie star, huh? Where you going? To PTA meeting it, Jimmy. No! Yes, and I bring them spaghetti and I make a long speech. You and Miss Pauling will be so proud of me, you won't know what to do. Oh, I'm late. Goodbye, Jimmy. I know what I'm going to do. Join the Foreign Legion. Hello? Miss Pauling, please. It's important. Mamma mia. Miss Pauling? This is Jimmy O'Connor. It's worse than I thought. He's all dressed up like a pallbearer, and he's going to make a speech that's full of statistics, and and he's bringing a pot of spaghetti. <laughs> Miss Balding? Miss Balding! <laughs> oh, really, I think this is wonderful. <laughs> oh, Miss Balding, this is quite an audience. It looks like the finest PTA meeting we've ever had. What was that, Mrs. Pringle? Yes, I said that it looks oh, like yes, the finest. Oh, yes, it does. Good afternoon, 
Dr. Cartwright. Well, it's nice seeing you again, Mrs. Pringle. I look forward to hearing you speak. Oh, uh, Dr. Cartwright. Yes, Mrs. Wilson? There's a man in a cutaway coat outside with a big pot of spaghetti. Uh, <clears throat> well, it must be a waiter who's made a mistake. Certainly no one here has ordered... Hello. You're Dr. Cartwright, the principal, huh? I am, but I didn't order any food. I bring it. This is my present for PTA meeting. Here. Ouch! Excuse ha! me. I put it on the table. <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't know me. I'm Luigi Bosco. Do you have a child in this school? Sure, my boy Jimmy O'Connor. He's a pupil here. Hmm, so that's why you came. Also because Miss Spaulding invited me to make a speech. Miss Spaulding did what? Miss Spaulding? Yes, Dr. Cartwright. Did you invite Mr. Basco? Hello, my teacher, Miss Spaulding. Hello, Mr. Luigi. Miss Spaulding, I prepare a short speech. Uh, well, Mr. Basco, I'm afraid there won't be any time for your speech. That's all right. I wait. <laughs> the meeting will come to order. Will the ladies please find seats? <laughs> Mr. Basco, I must ask you to sit down. I promised Pasquale I give out his cards. Is his spaghetti? Mr. Luigi, how could you? Is all the people here live in the same neighborhood. Maybe they give Pasquale a little business. Is something wrong, Miss Paul? No, no, everything's just fine. That's the way I feel it, too. I shall turn the chair over to our good friend, your chairman, Mrs. Wilson. If he turn over chair, she fall down. <laughs> good afternoon, ladies. Me, too. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, now, before we proceed, is there any old business? I have all the business. Antiques. Uh, Our first speaker is Mrs. Nelson Pringle. She will speak on um, our school system. Spaghetti is getting cold. We must have order. A great many of you may not like what I have to say, particularly about this school. As you know, my son is a pupil here, and I must say, from personal observation, I should think that our teachers here must recognize the need for greater discipline. If there is rowdyism, and we know there is, if our children find their excitement in the streets, then I think our teachers are at fault. And I suppose... Please, I'd like you to say something. We don't matter all I had the floor. We must have orders. Mr. Basco, please go quietly and quickly. First I speak, then I go. That's the person who brought the spaghetti. Oh. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, ladies are right. I bring spaghetti. Is because I think maybe you like. I make a mistake. I don't do this again. Excuse me. But it's not important now anyway. It's important what the ladies say about teachers. I'm only in this country a little while, and I don't know about schools like a lady. Also, only teacher I know is Miss Spaulding. And it's not her fault when the kids fight. Maybe it's a parent's fault, not teachers, when the kids fight too much. If my Jimmy come home with a black eye, that's my fault. I don't teach you Jimmy right, but I try. I tell him this is a wonderful country because all kinds of people here and children of all kinds of people. Little children, they don't know what it means to hate, to hurt. They learn about this from us, not from a teacher. All little children know is love. So it's up to us older people to show them. It's like all the same. Apple don't fall far from tree. We show them at home, 
We explain, then they know. That's the why. If it's a bad, the children is not teachers of fault. It's a sometimes parents of fault. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, Miss Luigi. Gee, you didn't stay long. I think maybe too long. Did you make your speech? No. You're a smart boy, Jimmy. You know what was going to happen at the PTA meeting, huh? No, boss, I... Was it really bad? It was worse than that, Jimmy. I make a bigger fool... Hello, Luigi. Hello, Miss Spaulding. I'm sorry, I... I make you so ashamed. Ashamed? You were wonderful. Your speech was inspiring. But I think I look so foolish in this suit. Well, it was a little too formal. Boss, I'm proud of you. I'm glad, Jimmy. And you know something? I was the only mother in cutaway coat. So, dear Mamma Mia, I'm a now member Parent Teachers Association. From now on, I go to all the meetings. Who can tell? Maybe next year, I become a president. Then I be first the president of a woman's club. <laughs> also, Mamma Mia, I sell my cutaway coat to Pasquale. He is putting a suit in a Rose's Hope chest. <laughs> One more thing. Today, I'm sending letter to man with the problem. How long does it take for Tom and Harry to dig a hole if they dig a hole together? I'm sending this letter to only man who knows the answer. John L. Lewis. Be sure to listen next week at the same time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to Mama Basco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by Highcraft and Cy Howard and stars J. Carol Nash as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is under the direction of Wilbur Hatch. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we'll wrap up the week with Quiet, Please, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.